The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is Linda Sarsour. She is the co-founder of Until Freedom, and she is one of the four co-chairs of the Women's March that was the biggest protest in 2017. But a lot has happened since then, and we're going to get into it today. Linda, thank you so much for being here. Good morning, Zerlina. Thank you so much for having me. So what happened? Because there's this big report in the New York Times. And just to set this up a bit, um, I, as somebody who worked on the Hillary Clinton campaign, and I was in the weird sort of space on the campaign of the intersection of like digital feminism, black stuff. Uh And so I remember seeing in 2016, trolls, I, I remember seeing just like weird accounts, they were, they had black avatars right a lot of them had black faces um but the comments were a little weird the language was weird um and they were all saying similar things attacking hillary clinton on similar on similar issues or maybe even you know talking about the crime bill or something like that and i just remember it being like a little bit weird just because of the language and the way it was phrased now fast forward to 2017 the women's march is the most successful protest in the history of the country the largest in the history of the country And the momentum from that um, is stunted a bit. Stunted may not be the right word. Stopped a bit um, by attacks on the leadership of which you were a part. So tell tell us what happened and when did it start happening? I think your timeline is right, Zerlina. I mean, it started before the actual Women's March um, happened on January 21st, 2017. We also had folks that were, you know, it was interesting to see we had real criticism. So let me just acknowledge that there was some real criticism of the Women's March originally, you know, it was it was a, originally a group of white women, a bit tone deaf on some issues. It wasn't as diverse. You know, we came along uh, Tamika Mallory, who, as you know, is African-American, mm-hmm. Carmen Perez, who's Chicana Mexican, and of course, myself, who's Palestinian American Muslim. And of course, bringing our friends along who also were other women of color. So there was initial real criticism of the Women's March. So at some point, you couldn't really tell the difference. We couldn't tell what was real, what was not Mm -hmm. real. But we did know that we had some things that we needed to do. And so when the Women's March actually happened on January 21st, 2017, we had been criticized even by white women saying that we were being, you know, divisive, that we were uh, bringing race into everything, that we were talking about things in the context of race. And why would we do that? Because that separates people instead of bringing them together. But we went through all of that and we ended up at the Women's March. And as you know, it was incredible. Um, It was the largest single day protest in American history. There were marches all over the world. 36 hours later, I wake up and it's an avalanche of hate online. And I and I said to myself, I said, this can't really be authentic or organic, but of course I have no way to prove that. Mm-hmm. And some of the 
you know, messaging that and the, the story, of course, that we're talking about is that eventually we find out that the Russian government, um, including their military and their intelligence um, department, were sitting in some building in St. Petersburg testing messaging to kind of divide our movements. Mm -hmm. And it just, you know, they tested so many different messages. They tried to do the, you know, bra burning, you know, um, you know, angry women angle that didn't really move much the we're the leftist anarchist you know face of antifa that really didn't move much on the internet and then they zeroed in on me uh and the, like i said 36 hours later i wake up to an avalanche of hate like the whole internet hated me everybody hated me i mean it was it was like across the the, the spectrum and I think, you know, for, for the, the Russians, as they were testing messaging, you know, here I was a Muslim American woman wearing hijab. I defied a lot of the stereotypes of mm -hmm. the MAGA, you know, white supremacists, those who have been anti-Muslim in this country for a really long time and working on that angle since the horrific attacks of 9-11. I was also Palestinian, so I already had a lot of critics for my positions on Palestine. Of course, the pro-Israel lobby already hated me way before there was Women's March. So they started testing messaging they saw about me already online. And the and according to the researchers, it went wildfire on the internet. It, mm. it They couldn't believe how, how fast it went. There were tweets and within minutes that would go to 16,000 retweets. And they would have 2,000 comments under a tweet that just literally was tweeted maybe a few hours ago. And so, you know, that's what happened. And they continued to do that um, over the course of 18 months, which is which is the time that the researchers were researching. So it could, right. could still be happening now in our different movements. It could be happening against Black Lives Matter right now. So this particular story from the New York Times, which was on the front page, and mm -hmm. it was a two full spreads. Um, it was a pretty thorough uh, piece by Ellen Barry. Um, it was just, it was stunning. I couldn't, I mean, I wasn't, you know, shocked because of course I already knew that there were foreign governments that were trying to, of course, intervene in the elections and we already know the story, but I couldn't believe that the Russian governments decided that I was the one. I mean, it, it feels, I, I, I feel very similarly and, and, and went through similar emotions post 2016. Like I was like, I know this can't be organic. I understand that there are legitimate critiques of the crime bill, but this feels like this is something else. Like this is something different. And it's like people that are honing in on very specific things, but they're just like, they won't let it go. It, it felt like it was people in a warehouse in Russia at, mm -hmm. in, in real time. And I just remember sort of feeling validated by the fact that there was subsequent reporting that said like yeah no you're not crazy there are definitely black people out there who have legitimate critiques of hillary clinton but there are all like this is like the mass and the scale of this is something different i mean did did you feel validated at all or did you feel you know like okay well yes i knew this already but think it what are we going to do about it like do you feel like there was some institution that was supposed to prevent something like this from happening. The government, for example. <laughs> like... Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, what, what I, what I reflected on, and I do feel validated by this um, New York times story only because like I said, you know, anti-Muslim sentiment, anti-Palestinian sentiment, and even me, Zerlita, like people are going to disagree with me and you and I might disagree on some issues mm -hmm. and that's normal. That's life. We live in America. We come from different places. We have different positions on issues. This is 
the land of democracy. We are to debate our issues. You know, we are to support whatever candidates we want to support. May the best man, woman, person win. I mean, this is this is the the country that I want to live in. You know, and and so for me, this avalanche of of hate. Um, or intervention even from foreign governments is, is really a critique of us as the American mm -hmm. people, as our yeah. movement. Like, why are we so vulnerable to foreign government intervention? You know, why can't we say, well, wait a minute, you know, here are some issues we disagree on, but the fact that we become so polarized knowing that people see the cracks within our democracy, within the way that we kind of engage in politics in America. And that's really what the Russian government saw. They saw an existing anti-Muslim sentiment. They saw an existing issue, like for example, Israel, which is quite divisive in this country, especially mm -hmm. within the Democratic Party. Right. The Russians weren't trying to divide me from MAGA. They were trying to divide the Women's March from the larger progressive movement and particularly within the Democratic Party. They already saw that as that's the issue that fires everybody up on the left, on the, you know, the folks that are in the center. And so they went with it. And so we yeah. have to decide in this country whether we're ready to debate issues, whether we're ready to say, you know what, we are going to disagree on this issue, but you know what, we're not going to allow our leaders to be attacked because you may not agree with me on Israel, but you may think I'm a good organizer on immigration or on mm -hmm. criminal justice reform or on policing. So you don't got to agree with me on this issue. But what we do here in this country is the minute we don't agree with the leader on an issue, and you know this from the internet, yep. it's, it's wildfire. But this Russian thing was even more insidious and sinister because they kept on, they kept on, they kept on. By the time we get to 18 months into the Women's March, by that time, anybody could have said anything about Tamika Mallory or Carmen right. or anybody else. And people would have just went with it because it was so consistent that at some point you repeat lies enough, people are going to say, listen, this got to be true because the whole internet is saying it. Right. Right. And and I think like I one of the things I also want to talk about is how that impacts your your regular life, right? So one of the things that's a little bit weird about the invention known as television is that when people become sort of public, um, you know, and, and you're recognizable, now people know what your face looks like because they've seen it on social media, they've seen it on television, they've seen it <clears throat> on clips of the Women's March or in speeches, and you sort of become something that's not a person. It's very strange and dehumanizing. Um, but when that happens and you're also receiving this barrage of hate, um, do did you feel isolated? Like from, from, I mean, could you talk to anybody about it? Could you talk to the other Women's March folks that were going through the same thing? Or was it almost like uncomfortable because they're, you're being divided by these attacks that are existing on the internet? And it, it, and it sort of divides you in your ability to support each other as the harassment is coming. I mean, this stuff gets really complicated and emotional because mm -hmm. when you are receiving the hate, it has an impact. It's not just words on the internet. You're not just looking at people in your mentions. Like I, I use Twitter way less than I used to because of, I realized the emotional impact of even just looking at messages from anonymous people about you mm -hmm. that are, that are hateful. Absolutely. I mean, you know, what the, what the, you know, the, the, the initial kind of hate that I received, the, it, I believe the initial intent was number one, to marginalize me specifically, to isolate me um, out of the women's march. And for me, thank God that I was already 
longtime friends with, you know, Tamika and Carmen mm-hmm. and many other women who were in Women's March who knew me already for 15 years prior to me going to the Women's March. They knew me, they knew my work, they came to my community, they knew my family and a lot of other, you know, leaders of organizations around the country, all the progressive organizations, they knew me, they worked with me before, you know, I've done trainings with them. I mean, they knew who I was. And so they knew that there was something outrageous happening, which is why I'm still here today, why I still organize, why I'm still part of the progressive movement, why I still go to conventions and conferences and I'm in these spaces because thank God people knew who I was um, prior to the Women's March. But like you said, Zerli, the people don't understand it's not just about what goes on on the internet. I'm a very recognizable person. I have a very distinct look. I wear hijab. I wear my hijab in a particular kind of way because different Muslim women wear it differently. Um, and people know who I am. I could be walking in the train station. I could be, you know, walking down any street and people will recognize who I am. And at that time, I, I said I had such high visibility that, um, you know, I had to hire private security. I mean, people were posting my addresses on the Internet. Um, there was people sending my mother mail. I had a man send my mother a scrapbook that had my kids photos in it. I mean, my brother, who was working as a manager at a kosher barbecue restaurant here in Brooklyn, New York, um, was protested only because he was my brother, because people believe that in w- one way to get leaders is you go after people that they love. My brother moved to New Orleans. He literally left all of New York City because it was like too much to handle. Um, so for me, reading that New York Times article wasn't just validated, it re-traumatized me. Um, and of course, re-traumatized women in the Women's March. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them didn't get the level of hate till later, as you know, we got into controversies later mm-hmm. that were elevated by the grooming or the foundation that the Russian government with their kind of intervention had already built for us. So even if we did have real criticism or people had real issues of people going to certain spaces that shouldn't have went to a certain pace or shouldn't have been in a space with a particular leader, I believe if the Russian government had not already primed us for 18 months, we probably would have gotten through that. We would have been able to have a courageous conversation in our movement and says, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about why this is bothering you, why you believe this is wrong, or maybe even having some women's march leaders be able to have a more open conversation about whatever the criticism we were receiving. But by that time, it didn't matter because Mm -hmm. with the with the hate groups that already existed, as you know, NRA went after us. They they made videos about us um, with our faces in it that said, meet them with the clenched fist of truth. So they said, wherever you see the Minute Women's March, you meet them with the clenched fist of truth, which, which as you know, for the NRA means meet us with guns, mm-hmm. which they did in Arizona, in Fairfax, Virginia. I mean, they wherever we went, especially in open carry states, we were met with people with guns. Um, we had, in Tampa, I went to speak at a university a man um, had to be uh, literally rolled up by the Tampa Police Department because he was threatening me in public uh, on a Facebook page, looking for me, asking what color car I'm going to arrive in, which entries and exits I was using. And he was a licensed gun owner that had guns in his car. and He worked at the local hospital. So what I want people to know um, is that I welcome debate and I, I'm sure I, I, I hold positions that people don't agree with. And and that's fine. And I want people to critique me. And you know what? I've moved along. I used mm-hmm. to, you know, I was I have over the 20 years. If you asked me something 20 years ago and you asked me today, I might have a total different position yep. because I've educated. People have engaged me. 
But the hate is for me what's not acceptable. Um, to to weaponize my identities against me, to target my family and my children, and this, as you know, Zerlina, happens to a lot of women of color. A lot of Black women experience this, and it's it's traumatizing. I don't even really do Twitter either. If you notice, I might retweet yeah. a few things here and there, but I'm not on Twitter either because Twitter is a cesspool of hate and people who are anonymous and have no courage but want to try to, and I believe it is a, a place where people target your mental health. And I, mm-hmm. I, I have left Twitter to itself. Oh yeah. I, I don't really tweet like I used to. Um, my one joke is that I tweet only about K-pop. That's it. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and there, and you know, the K-pop fans are very intense, but usually very delightful. And so yes. that's the only the community that I will engage with on Twitter. Um, because I just think that, it 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 affects your life that's the thing that i i want people to sort of walk away from this conversation with is like none of this stuff was happening just online it's not like it's just words on the internet on a screen and then you can turn it off and walk away and it's not affecting you it's not affecting your body and your literally your brain and you know your spirit (laughs) um and then also to your point about security i think people also need to understand this i mean attacks on you personally um meant that your physical safety in the world was not what it should have been because of the online threats and this all started in Russia I mean okay when we when you think about the potential consequences or the needed consequences of something like this like what what do you think should happen I mean how do we how do you think or if you if you have thought about this like how do you think we could prevent something like this from happening how do we shore up ourselves so that we're not so vulnerable to this kind of interference. I've thought a lot about this since the 2016 campaign, by the way, um, and especially the primaries from 2016. Like, I, I, I believe that the Russian trolling started then to divide the progressive movement um, between sort of Bernie supporters and Hillary supporters um, and in, in ways in which, like, there, I, there is way more we could come together on than that separated us. But I think a lot of the divisions were exploited and I saw it in my mentions starting way back then. Um, so how can we be less vulnerable to that kind of interference? I'm working on it, Zerlina. Um, <laughs> I really like, you know, when I saw this New York Times article, obviously this woman actually has been writing the story for many months. I had met her back in, you know, April of this year. And I've been thinking about it a lot when I actually saw the entire article, because obviously the New York Times is not going to let me read the article before mm-hmm. it goes out. I didn't know exactly to the extent that the article would be. And I, I read it multiple times. It's a very long article to read. And, um, you know, I started literally talking to people and, and putting some thoughts down on paper. We have to be able to identify this. And you said this earlier on in the conversation. There's some distinct things about these avalanches of tweets, right? And the language that's being used and the way that there's similar language as if someone is doing some sort of drafting and storming, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Being able to track accounts. What are we looking for in in, in accounts? And I think we need to be more vigilant and diligent as a movement to be able to identify, right, when we are being either attacked by local forces, because there are people, as you know, back in the days, they no longer exist, but there was like the Daily Stormer that had like a page. There's also people um, that I've, uh, that I know have accounts on um, Telegram, uh, which is of course like a right-wing social media, or maybe it's not a right-wing social media platform, but that's where the right-wing goes since a lot of them are being, you know, kicked off of other social media platforms. And what I, and I saw this recently about another issue where they go post things like Linda Sarsour said something, 
And then they, um, they, they, that becomes, a, and here's what you're going to go say or do. And then they be, basically all these people on Telegram will then go, the ones that do still have Twitter or are able to open Twitter accounts, and they'll go kind of storm your page or you'll be on Instagram. And all of a sudden, in a matter of 10 minutes, you already have 100 comments, which is, again, not normal. And so, uh, you know, one of the things I think we need to do is really almost kind of build a guide to the movement. Like, how do we identify when there is, um, some nefarious, sinister uh, social media kind of um, campaigns against our issues or uh, targeting certain effective leaders or candidates, um, especially as we come up to 2022 and, of course, into going to 2024. I think that we've a lot of us been through it so much that I think we have some key highlights or key warning signs of, of being able to identify when there's some sort of intervention that's happening um, on the Internet. And that's really it. And we just also have to have kind of a code of engagement. Like mm -hmm. if, me, if, if Zerlina is, you know, has a position on an issue, like, for example, you know, Zerlina's like, look, you know, maybe Biden did really great on this issue. And then Linda's over here saying, I don't know, Zerlina, like you, <laughs> what, what you see is good. I don't really see is good. I think this could be done. But there's a way to engage one another. Right. And I think we also have to be careful that we are not becoming tools of the Russian government and mm. or another foreign government. So for example, if I see someone critiquing Zerlina, that's one thing. And you go ahead, you're debating your issue. But if I'm seeing someone that's talking about Zerlina in a way that is dehumanizing, that is vilifying, that is making Zerlina out to be the enemy, I'm going to say, hold on a second here. This is not okay. That, that has nothing to do with Zerlina's position on something that you don't agree about. And I think what happened during the women's march is people who had real criticism of the women's march, and even of me personally, um, instead of saying, I know how to reach out to these people, I know how to, you know, ask the questions directly, really get clarifying information, they joined in um, and they rode the bandwagon, I believe, of what was happening. And guess what? Some of them were people that we loved and people that were our people, uh, maybe not like our best friends, but people that we knew along the time and, right. and the year. And there's people have reached out to us and said, damn, like, I didn't shoot. I, I had no idea. Well, now, you know, um, and hopefully we never have to do that um, again, because the last thing that I want is to ever hurt somebody or hurt a movement and then find out 20 years later that I was riding the wave of some foreign government who hates the you know, United States of America or just hates a particular segment of the United States of America. And again, like you said, there has to be more entities that are really focused on digital security. And I mean that mm -hmm. from a national security perspective, this right. is national security we're talking about. So whether this time it's the Russian government, next time the, it could be the Israeli government, the Iranian government, the Chinese government, I don't know, somebody is going to say, well, if the Russians could do it, then we could do it too. And and I and I, I think we have to say, yeah, no, you're not going to get us again. We, we, we figured this out. No, this is this is a really, really important point. I mean, I think about this a lot because one of the jokes I have on the show sometimes that I say is, you know, the when we lost the election, like, you know, the progressive side of the movement, um, the progressive side of the political spectrum, we organized and we knitted hats um, that were pink and we had a march. And then we organized and tried to win elections when the extremist right lost. They did an insurrection like there was a bit there's a big difference between what you know and i think that sort of even the through line between those two things is the manipulation of what people think by foreign governments by russia i mean i think a lot of the i mean if there's probably a need for even more reporting about how tro trolling and the russian government's 
um, strategies evolved because they didn't really need to do it as much because they had the right wing media outlets to amplify a message that would create the conditions for the insurrection to happen. So you can sort of see, you know, the women's march is like the beginning and then the insurrection is sort of that bookend of Uh all of this mess that they've created in our country because it is it is our security i mean we no one can look at what happened on january 6 and say this isn't a national security issue it is that was the manifestation of the mess that russia created in our politics that yes have been amplified and perpetuated by some people who are domestic but it really started before that Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, it was exploiting people and, and people will say that I'm trying to justify it, but look, there are a lot of people who are, you know, Trump supporters and what we would call MAGA people, you know, that, you know, have their own kind of, you know, some of them are straight out racist for sure. And some of them, you know, have fears and anxieties and are living in parts of America where they don't engage with anyone. So they were online and their fears were exploited and they were whatever they thoughts they already had or positions they already had were just fueled even more by the conversation that was happening already um, online. And so we get to this point, Women's March comes along and here comes these women and they were, you know, we're leading and we're pro-choice and pro-immigration and pro-refugee. And, you know, we want to take over America, all the other things that, you know, happen. And when I, when I think about it, what's so scary about it, to your point about being a national security threat, is by the time you get to January 6th, we're sitting back thinking to ourselves, damn it, I've been arrested at, on Capitol Hill a whole lot of times. I'm not even going to tell you how many times, just so many times. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell did you get all the way over there? Because- Listen! <laughs> And that's the thing that's so scary about it, the fact that we also know from many reports that even, you know, some elements of law enforcement were connected to January 6th, right? And and so, so again, we have so much, you know, there's just so much, there's such a big security threat right now. Like, I'm personally worried about 2024. Maybe. I hope that our the Democratic Party gets themselves together, get, get ourselves together. Sometimes I'm kind of in and out because I believe that that we are in a state of emergency. And to your point, Zerlina, we have to get to the point where we say, listen, here's 15 issues. We don't agree on two, but we do agree on 13. Let's move with these 13 right here. And then we'll deal with those other issues later in some in some more productive way. And, and I'm willing to you know, hold my own party accountable. And that's how I went from Bernie Sanders to you better make sure that Donald Trump don't get into office. I mean, mm-hmm. and, that, and I got critiqued by people who are my own people who are like Hillary this and Hillary. I said, listen, I'm not about to help a fascist become the president of the United States of America. And the same thing happened again when Biden went in again. I was a Bernie supporter again. And then I'm like, listen, it's going to be Joe, because what, what are we going to do? Like, we cannot be in this position where we are so dig our heels so far down into the ground that we end up hurting the people we claim that we want to help, which are the most marginalized people in this country. So again, like you said, American politics is messy. It's also dangerous. It's self-righteous. And I don't blame a lot of people who are disenchanted and sometimes are like, I don't even want to be part of this process because it's ugly. It's not supposed to be ugly. Democracy shouldn't have to be ugly. It should be something where we all take our passions, inspirations, aspirations to the polls. And in America, we often have to go with fear. Like we're like, okay, we're going because we don't want this bad thing to happen. And I hope that we don't have to go through that again in 2024. Me too. Me too. And I think, you know, I, I, as somebody who I went to law school, so I love a good debate. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I miss I miss being able to talk to Republicans 
I actually miss those conversations. It actually helped me strengthen my debating muscles. Mm-hmm. It helped me. And now I can only debate people on the left, which isn't as fun because there's not as much to just debate. <laughs> there's only like, the, you know, like it's like we can only like it's why the primaries in 2020, they had the whole like the first like four debates were all about health care. Because it's the only thing they can yell about. Because there's no, like, they're all, they're basically, they agree on all of these other things. Um, and so let's debate about this one specific piece of policy. Um, and I want to get back to debating everybody on the spectrum. I, I hope we I mean, get I'm, back to sanity. Totally. And I'm, I'm from South Brooklyn, um, which is, as for folks who know South Brooklyn, it's very, you know, cons- it's between conservative Democrats all the way to Republicans. And because I, I ran a nonprofit organization in that district for 15 years, I had to work with my local city council people, my local, you know, um, state representatives, and of course, other kind of key stakeholders in my community, my community board, and many of them were Republicans. And guess what? To your point, Zerlina, these are people that were my neighbors also, because I also lived in that community, right? And guess what? We didn't agree on some issues. But we respected one another. If my if the garbage man came and took my garbage and my cans were still outside, my Republican neighbor would bring in my garbage cans for me. Right. There was this level of like, we're not going to agree politically, but I'm going to respect you as as my neighbor. And they respected me as a nonprofit leader. And then, you know, and of course, there were some people in my community that would never accept people like me or the community that I was trying to serve that lived you know, in that community. But those were really the minority. And then all of a sudden we go now 2022 those same people somehow are now on this other side where it's like us versus them. And, and, and that what we lost was what you said, this idea where we could debate people with respect and mm-hmm. still walk away and say, you and I don't agree on this issue. And I'm gonna go back and fight for what I believe in and you go over there and fight for what you believe in. But guess what? I might see you at the corner coffee shop and I'm gonna say good morning. And we lost yeah. that. And I'd be criticized even for saying that. And I'm not afraid to say that because sometimes I don't even know if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a leftist or whatever, because I just you might say good morning to me at the local coffee shop. I don't know what political party you're a part of or not part of. But now all of a sudden, that's the thing that we lead with. And that's the problem that we have. And again, now foreign governments are starting to see those fissures. They know the issues that rile us up. They know what divides us in our own political party. And they're like, that's what we're going to play on right now. And that's what they did to me because they knew that the kind of anti-Muslim sentiment is a, is a bit more of an acceptable form of bigotry in America because it's, it's rooted in a national security frame. They knew Israel-Palestine would definitely work because that's an issue that has divided us for a very long time in the Democratic Party. And that's and they and they went with that. And I don't and it's hard for me not to say that that was a brilliant strategy on their part. And the question is, are we ready to make sure that we block those fissures, that we are able to figure out a way to negotiate or even if it's a debate where we vehemently disagree, but we don't allow somebody from the outside to try to get involved in our little conversation. Mm. And the haters, like I said, they exist. They're going to exist with or without the Russian government. We have them in this country, people who are unequivocally pro-police, people who are against racial justice and economic justice, people who are against women's rights and women's reproductive rights. They exist. And guess what? They do have influence in this country. But I believe that they would not have been able to get as far as they did without the intervention of the Russian government. I I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think that this this is something that's so, so important. Again, we said it's a national security issue, but it, it's an issue that we all have to care about because whether we like it or not, the Russians have figured it. They've figured us out. We got to figure ourselves out. <laughs> um, okay. And in line with what Linda said, um, just approach each other as people and try to think of 
each other as people in the same community, the American community that, you know, your neighborhood. Um, and then, you know, it grows out exponentially. Co-founder of Until Freedom, Linda Sarsour. Thank you so much. It's been great to have you. It was a great conversation. Um, thank you and so much, Selena. I'm, Keep I'm so you. I'm, I'm, of course, you too. And I, I'm so glad that, you know, the, the attacks have died down. And now that this report is out, I'm sure, you know, the validation, I would just be like, I told you so. You know, that's what I would be like. But I, I'm, I'm trying to be a, become a better person um, through therapy. So maybe you're not, you're not saying that today. But I'm so glad that finally this reporting is out here. Um, and so people are aware of, of this ongoing threat. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Please stay safe. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.